So two things you got to know. Uh, good morning. All right, two things you got to know. Number one, we just checked off one thing on Kevin's bucket list to play the movie 300 in a sermon. So that happened, number one. Uh, number two, little known fact, we were body doubles in that movie. So no, no, didn't land. Okay, we'll try it next service. If it doesn't work out, I give up, Kevin. No more comedy for me. Okay, so uh, this is the shield of faith. Now, what you saw actually historically was a real battle. However, it was the Spartans that you just saw. Uh, but it is a beautiful analogy of what the shield of faith and the flaming arrows that attack uh, people of faith and followers of Jesus. Uh, it's, it's a very cool setup for what we're going to talk about today. Because that's, today our focus is the shield of of faith. And so uh, join me in a word of prayer before we get going this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your, your power and your love in our lives. We thank you, Lord, uh, for bringing us here. We ask God that you just help us to take a breath, sit under your word, and sit within your presence. We trust you with this day, and we love you so much. It's in your name. Amen. Here's what Paul would say in Ephesians 6. He says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, here's uh, kind of what's, what's interesting for you to know about just historically speaking, okay? In, in this Roman time, you got to remember when Paul's talking about comparing followers of Jesus to a Roman soldier, that's their context. So if I would have been, uh, if I were to write this today, if the Apostle Paul's around today, he would be describing an American soldier, right? The grenades of truth, the whatever, you know, and you would know, you'd kind of be familiar with what he's talking about and how that fits and how it functions. And so uh, some of what is, is kind of embedded in this is people's culture and their history and their understanding of even the Roman military. And so this may help give you some insight today on, on just what was the depth of what Paul was talking about. You may not have known this, but, but back in the day, at this, during this era and this time, archers were absolutely lethal. You know, that's all you did all day. That's what you knew. Um, these guys could fire an arrow 550 to 750 feet. Up to 750 was the range of an arrow back then. Um, they were deadly accurate between 150 and 500 feet. So they could lob something at you, and they'd have a pretty good chance of hitting you from 150 to 500 feet. That's remarkable, okay? And so there were several strategies that they had back then. One under Caesar was really to just distract from the real fight. They'd fire up a whole bunch of stuff up in the air, and if they could get you looking at what is falling down on you, then you wouldn't notice that they were about to tank your flank, that the whole army was shifting, or that they had this group moving this way off of your flank to, to actually you know, take you over, and you're not even noticing, see? So Paul is even trying to help you understand, like, culturally, this is how people would have understood how the fighting would go down. So number one is just distraction. This is one of the ways that the enemy fires flaming arrows. Just to get you, I said it last week, if Satan can't get you bad, he can get you busy. Just get your eyes looking anywhere and everywhere but to God. And if he can get enough flying at you, maybe what you're supposed to be paying attention to is beginning to move from your sight of view. Titus, he was another leader during this time, and his way of using um, archers was a little bit different. There was some street fighting 
2,000 years ago that had just gotten out of control. You know, every so often, the Jewish people would rise up against their Roman oppressors. This was the greatest concern, by the way, of Jesus' time. This is what expedited Jesus' um, execution, was that they were concerned that Rome, if they made too much noise with this guy claiming to be the Messiah, they would have some kind of a, a riot, and then they knew Rome would come down and crush the whole thing. Well, under Titus, there was street fighting in the streets of Jerusalem. And the way that Titus used archers is he actually put them on both ends of a single street. And he had people blocked in and couldn't go out in either direction. And then he'd just lob stuff in on the people to put down the, you know, the group that's just acting out of control. And in this case, it was simply to overwhelm the individuals. This is another strategy of the enemy, to simply overwhelm people to the point that they begin to feel hopeless, that they have no chance, that there's so much raining down on them they can't seem to find an exit in any way, shape, or form. Finally, the other one was just simply to disrupt. If they could get enough flying at you from enough different directions, you would just scatter. And what happens, as we talked about once a soldier scatters away from his group and away from the overall plan and purpose of his armor and his guys to his left and to his right. Well, now he's incredibly vulnerable to disrupt community, to break you away from your brothers and your sisters to your left and to your right. And once you're alone, and Satan loves to do this, Satan loves to convince people that their sinfulness is so dark and here's the funniest part, so unique, <laughs> you know, we believe that. We believe that the stuff that we deal with is so unheard of, right? It's so unbelievable. It's so groundbreaking in the history of broken humanity that if anyone else possibly knew, oh man, you'd be, you'd be exiled forever. But the truth of the matter is that belief is what exiles you. It's a lie. Jesus would, uh, would put it this way in John 10.10, 10, and I'll help you put this in context. Think about something that can be fired. The enemy, over 500 feet, over 700 feet at you, and you're going to find out in this last week that Pastor Kevin is going to share with you this idea that the sword, your only weapon, is 19 inches long. 19 inches versus the enemy's 750 feet. And I hope you catch what Paul is trying to say. Number one, the enemy rarely deals with you face to face. You catch that? Rarely deals with you face to face. The enemy may deal with you face to face when the enemy is certain, absolutely certain it's got you. But if victory is even remotely in question... The enemy loves to work from a distance. And what does that mean if your only weapon is 19 inches? How close do I have to be to you now? What does that mean? That means I have to literally be able to see the whites of your eyes when this interaction goes down. So the enemy is good with firing something, lobbing something into your life, working through a person around you. And by the way, I don't mean that the people around you necessarily are are uh, possessed and their heads spin 360 degrees and they throw up green stuff. That's not what I'm saying. 
What I am saying is that this is a spiritual world where people take in spiritual stuff and they believe lies and truth all the time. There is a battle spiritually for your heart, your mind, and your soul and everyone around you. And one of the ways that you will know that a person is being influenced in some way, shape, or form by this world is their tactics. And if what you begin to sense what's happening in your life is that the enemy or a person is just lobbing stuff up in the air. It's usually, hey, did you hear about? Have you heard the rumor? There's this like this distant, even, even Facebook can be so damaging because you can tell me you know the person, but right now it's just a name. That's all it is. It's a screenshot picture. That's it. See? Always at a distance. And you know what? You'll inevitably find that if you actually engage that with the truth, because what you have is something you have to hold within your hand. What you have, if you're going to engage the enemy with the truth, it's a face-to-face moment. And I'm telling you what's fascinating is watch how often the enemy will do this. What arrow? What bow? I don't know what you're talking about. Huh? Followers of Jesus are meant to engage this kind of behavior face-to-face. That's the way truth is spoken. That's the way grace is given. That's the way the interactions are having to happen. See, Jesus would even tell us, okay, he would even tell us in his word the way to deal with confrontation when your brother or your sister sins, when your brother or sister has offended you. That's why he says, go see them. Go see them. Go see them. If they blow you off, now bring somebody else. Why? Because he knows that the power of the truth being conveyed face to face The power of the truth in grace being conveyed face to face. The power of the truth being conveyed with another warrior of Christ watching each other's flank. In truth and grace and love, the enemy has nothing for that. See, a bow and arrow is great 750 feet away. It's pretty hard three feet away to do any good with a bow and arrow. It's a long-range weapon. And so the way that followers of Christ have to deal with the brokenness of this world is to get in close. Real close. And what Satan would have us do is just lob right back. You with me? That's what's at stake as followers of Christ. And Jesus would put it a little bit different way, okay? So certainly there's just to distract, to overwhelm, to disrupt. That's all, that's all true, okay? And those arrows can take on all kinds of different forms. See, sometimes those arrows are condemnation, your past, your mistakes, your struggles, your greatest fears and anxieties and your worries. And the spiritual forces of this world are just feeding off of that, perpetuating that. Some aspect that just throws you off from being the person that Christ has called you to be. And the enemy loves that, loves to take those shots at you. And this is what actually Jesus would say in John 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You may not have known this, but in in the Greek, what Jesus is saying and when he uses the word steal... What the word actually means is to, uh, to take away or to steal secretly. In secret. 
in stealth mode. It's something that's just meant to slowly be taken right out from under you without you even being aware. It's not something that happens in broad daylight. It's not something that happens with a huge crowd watching. It's something that happens in isolation when we are a distracted people. See? That's the idea of stealth stealing away from people. And Jesus would then say the thief also comes to kill. And when he means kill, he means something actually, the the word that he's using there is like to sacrifice on an altar. Not just to kill, but to kill it by sacrificing it on an altar. So what does he mean? He means actually to, to take away a person's soul and to change their allegiance to something else. Change their heart and the desires of their heart in a completely different direction. And in so doing, he can kill that person's soul if he can get it to sacrifice their heart, their mind, and their deepest desires in this life on the altar of something else. And then finally when he says destroy, it's just simply this idea that it would be a miserable end. See that? If it can just come together in such a way that your life is destroyed in a miserable way. That's the depth of what he's trying to say. And then Jesus counteracts it and he says, you know what? But I have come that you would have life abundantly. Abundantly means just excess and overflow. But the word when he's talking about life, what he's actually meaning is that, yes, your physical needs would be met. Your physical needs would be met. They would. But at the exact same time, He's talking about your spiritual life in the future. Your physical life now. That you will have life abundantly. I will take care of you physically. But that spiritually in your future, you'll have life abundantly. I have it all taken care of and worked out for you. And so I just simply, as we're engaging the enemy and engaging this culture, I want you to keep two things in mind. Number one, this is the way um, David would put it in Psalm, 2 Samuel 22. He says, It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give away. You see what David is ultimately trying to say? That the battle is God's. My ability to fight is God's. What he's given me is God's. That's the way that it is. Okay, like two months ago, I'm trying to find just some firewood, okay? Kind of hard to find in a residential area. Luckily, someone cut down a tree, score, okay? And so I just pulled over like a weirdo, and I took people's wood out of, you know, by the sidewalk, right? And it's stuff that's 20, 30 pounds. It's not light. I get home, and what does my two-and-a-half-year-old say? Especially once he wants to be tough. He wants to lower his voice, okay? He always tries to lower his voice when he wants to be tough. Hey, Dad, okay? Hey, Dad, can I help you carry that, right? Now, what could I could say to the kid? Bug off, little man, right? But I love him. I love him. He's my boy. So what do I tell him? Sure, buddy. Come on, man. And then what do I tell him? I need your help here. Let's do this together. We're going to do this together. So what ends up happening? I'm holding a log, risking throwing my back out because I'm holding it at the very end so my little man can have his two little paws on it 
and he's grunting and going, and here we are, and we're walking, and I'm moving and shaking, and we're, we're loading everything. And when it's all over, he goes, man, we did it, didn't we? We did. Who carried it? Was he a part of it? You are right. Dead on the money he was. In his mind, did he carry it? Yes, he did. But he had his dad with him every step of the way. He had his dad with him who was really keeping him from being crushed, from getting hurt. And it wasn't easy for him. But if not for his father, there's no way, see? And David understood this in relationship to his heavenly father. What I have, you've given me. The fights and the battles that I'm winning are because of you. I am your instrument. And the first lie that the enemy wants us to believe is that the successes of us and the things that we're able to accomplish and the way that we've been blessed are somehow, some way about us. Rather than the beautiful gift of God's grace in each and every one of our lives. And so I want you to, to remember this when you're in the battle, okay? To close out our time together. 2,000 years ago, they wrapped these shields in leather and they dipped them in water before they would go to battle. And they would get their shields really, really soaking wet. And when Paul is saying that their arrows, the flaming arrows of Satan, when the enemy, the literal enemy back then to the Roman, Roman military, when a flaming arrow would hit a leather-bound uh, shield wrapped in water, it would extinguish the arrows. The flames would go out immediately. What Paul is talking about is your baptism. Each and every one of you, your baptism. Never forget your baptism. What's about to happen later today is a group of kids were baptized when they were smaller than the size of this shield. And their parents said, one day you're going to be a warrior, son. One day you're going to be a warrior, daughter. And in the meantime, we are going to cover you with this faith. And what these kids are going to do later today is they're now picking this up. And they're saying, you guys had this in my room my whole life. You taught me what it meant to be a warrior. You put around me people who were warriors. You brought me to the place of God to remind me that I'm not the only one in this army. Okay? You gave me the word of God. You put it in my hands to give me my marching orders. I realized I'm not alone, but here's just it. Okay? Even the guys in 300, you see the guy that stood up and said, recover. You know, the guy that's built like Kevin and I. Okay? Caught that. Second shot. A little bit better. Good. Okay. All right? That guy named Leonidas in 480 B.C., he actually got into a, a battle in Thermopylae that history recorded there was a moment when he had to send all of his troops off the, first, off the front line. And the reason is he recognized as their commander that they were battle weary. They fought no doubt gallantly in the movie 300, a historical account, no doubt about it. But what I want you to know is every soldier, every man and woman, every warrior for Christ can reach a point where they're battle weary where you begin to question the constant incoming of the flaming arrows of Satan 
And what I want to remind you and what Paul's trying to get across to you this morning about the shield of faith is that it is wrapped in your baptism. You've been equipped by God's grace, not by what you've done, not how worthy you are, but simply the presence, the purpose, and the promise of God. Nothing, nothing will separate you from the love that is Christ Jesus. The flaming arrows of Satan and of this world cannot steal, kill, and destroy what has been given to you in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your love, your kindness. God, sometimes we think that the shield of faith is about us and about our strength and our wisdom. And every last one of us grows weary from the battle. God, we thank you that the shield of faith rooted in your baptism is about your character your heart, your passion, your courage, your steadfast, never-ending love for us. May we never, ever forget that nothing will separate us from the love that is you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen.